0: Hey Combo Nation, we are back for another episode of Combo's Court. It's back to back. We dropped one yesterday and we are dropping one today. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, go back and listen to it. And welcome to episode 363 of Combo's Court. Today's show DeMichael Cole, co-host of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast and Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for commercial appeal, joins in to talk. Big Memphis Ja, Zaire Williams' development, Desmond Bain ceiling, and his thoughts on what adjustments need to be made for Game 2. From the Memphis Grizzlies' perspective, a fantastic conversation with DeMichael. You can catch DeMichael on Twitter at DeMichaelC. That's D-A-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-combo. That's O N E T W O. C O M P O intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Michael Cole, welcome to Combos Corp, man. How you feeling today?
1: Man, I'm feeling great. Uh, you know, it was, it was day. it's it's good days. Been been a fun run, you know, watching this team progress this season. But, but man, I'm feeling good. Yeah,
0: the team is doing well. The thing is, is like, I don't know much about Memphis. I don't know why. I'm, yeah. I'm from this country. I've been around the world as well. I feel like I haven't studied my own country or traveled my own country enough. Like, what goes on in Memphis, man?
1: Man, Memphis is the culture. Okay. Uh, okay. Memphis, Memphis Memphis is one of those cities in the south that really embodies southern culture to a teeth. If you want to get really get an idea of southern culture in America, Memphis is one of those places, you know, Atlanta, New Orleans, New, Atlanta, New Orleans, and I think Memphis. To me, those are the three cities that perfectly embody from music, you know, Atlanta uh, yeah. You, you, you get the trap music scene, hip hop scene there, New Orleans jazz um, and, you know, the uh, the band marching bands and things like that. In Memphis, you kind of get a combination with the blues.
0: So OK, like
1: fine. You know, a combination of kind of that hip hop style, like the upbeat. And then you get that jazz music scene where, you know, it's a little more about, you know, just expressing yourself, how you feel. You know and stuff like that and you combine it and you kind of get that blues sound and that's memphis so musically it's a great place food wise you know we know the south is is definitely that barbecue is the main dish you know that a lot of people talk about in this um you know in memphis but me personally being a memphis and born and raised i always say the wings as well uh, okay our wings are legit we we have a, a sauce called honey gold sauce there's, it's a specialty sauce made in Memphis. If you ever go to Memphis, uh, go to one of the local wing spots and ask for honey gold wings or honey gold chicken tenders. However, and, and it'll change your life. But Memphis is culture, man. Music, uh, dancing, all of those things. You know, we we have a lot of you know a big entertainment scene. You know, a lot of the big you got singers who you know become celebrities, and then of course basketball. Uh, I mean. Yeah. You know, basketball, is culture there. Penny Hardaway is the Michael Jordan of Memphis, Tennessee. But each year, I mean, you go look right now. You look on the top 100, top 200 of ESPN 24-7 sports, all those rankings of basketball players. You're going to see at least two to three Memphis kids every single year. On a good year, you're going to see six or seven. But Memphis, you know, the hoops culture is is doesn't take a backseat to anyone in the South. Uh, but, yeah, that's Memphis in a nutshell, man.
0: Most definitely, you mentioned Penny. You um, you mentioned Penny, and it's a great segue because I did want to talk about this with you. When we're talking about the hierarchy of maybe attention, where do the Memphis Tigers rank and the Memphis Grizzlies rank? Is it really just the attention just lands on which team is more successful at the moment?
1: No, it it's not. Uh, the Tigers are the clear number one, and that's it's a historical thing because here, here this is how it is in Memphis with the Tigers. You have, you know, they've been around, they were in, you know, Final Four in 1985, and, and you know, they had the great teams with, with Penny Hardaway and all the teams, you know, all the great historical teams they had in the 90s, early 2000s, John John Calipari tenure when you get Derrick Rose, Tyreek yeah. Evans, uh, you know, CDR, all these guys. There is more history with the Memphis Tigers. The Grizzlies have only been in Memphis about 20 20 years now. Yeah. So with the Grizzlies only being in Memphis 20 years, you don't grow up hearing those stories. You know, I grew up hearing stories about let's take a random guy like Dale Curry. Oh, when he was at Virginia Tech, he did this to us or he did that to us, you know. Or you grew right. up hearing about, you know, Villanova in 1985 and Memphis versus Memphis State, and you grow up hearing about you know Penny Hardaway when he committed to Memphis. What it meant, and you grow up hearing about all these great basketball players from Memphis who went to Memphis. And I, I mean, it, you you just grow up knowing Memphis Tigers. I remember being a kid. You go back and look at like recruiting classes from 1994. You're like, man, he's from West Memphis, Arkansas. He's from East Memphis, this high school. He's from that high school in Memphis. He's from North Mississippi. All the local kids went to Memphis, and you know so. Basically, it's just those people getting older and their connection is already built there. Whereas with the Grizzlies, that fan base has been built over the last 20 years. So it's like there's more connection because of, you know, the Tigers because they've had success over that time. We're talking about, you know, the D-Rose team, a lot of 30-win teams. They dominated the CUSA. Um, And then right now, you know, Penny racking up top recruit classes. It's a different feel in that way. But the Grizzlies certainly come a long way
0: is it fair to say that the grizzlies exceeded expectations and the tigers didn't live up to expectations this
1: season i I would say so you know i definitely would say so uh with the grizzlies for sure you know uh, i think a lot of people locally expected them to take a jump but I, i don't know how many people expected them to have the second best record in the entire nba and you know like Desmond Bain took an incredible jump. John Morant, most improved player, from already being a rising star. So, uh, and then you go up and down the roster. It's hard to see, you know, Memphis, no matter how big of a fan you are, taking that type of a jump that they did. Now with the Tigers, you know, top recruiting class coming in and all the hype built around them, it was always about them in Houston and, and, you know, the AAC. Can they beat Houston? Can they compete with Houston? Overall, they beat Houston twice in the regular season. So that was kind of like a benchmark thing, but they started slow and that held them back. That was the reason, you know, they got a lower seed in the tournament, which led to them playing Gonzaga, you know, in the second round where they got eliminated. So if they would have got a better start, they would have gotten a chance to go further. But I think the Tigers finished the season playing how people anticipated them playing early on. It's just, you know, they struggled early and that impacted the matchup that they got in the second round. So um, underachieved in terms of success, you know, second round probably isn't where people, you know, wanted them to go, even though it was the first tournament appearance in, I think, like six or seven years. So that was a big deal. But second round may not have been, you know, the goal overall. But the way the team was playing, it was a lot of Tigers fans who were kind of just, you know, happy at that point with just the effort. I mean, they gave Gonzaga a good run. What does John Morant mean to the city of Memphis? He's huge, man is, I mean, he's AI to, to Philly. He's wow. like, yeah, I mean, it's that's the best way to put it for me because I, I worked in Philly. I worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer two and a half years right before I came here. And, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm 25 now. So I, I grew up born and raised in Memphis. I seen, you know, kids love Mike Miller. I seen kids love Stroh Smith, uh, Lorenzen Bright. Uh, White Chocolate, Jason Williams, you know, all the kids loved watching his highlight tapes. We were at school and stuff like that. Um, and then to the grit and grind era. We all loved, you know, Zebo, uh T.A., first team all defense, you know, and all mm-hmm. that, and Mike Conley. But Ja, Ja is different, man. Like, he feels the building up. And and I'm at these games at the courtside, you know, every game. And it's like when a fast break happens, some people are already standing up just because they see him running. And the, the collective ooze that build up before the play even is finished. And if he misses, it's like, ah, like a big like, ah, come on. Like, <laughs> the anticipation for him to do something special, not just on a play, but just before a game start. I think back to the, you know, his biggest game of the season was arguably that 52-point game against the Spurs where he dunks on Jacoperto, the seven-footer, and he hits that incredible buzzer beater and all of that in one game. And I remember someone texting me before the game, like, "Uh, it's just the Spurs. I don't want to. I'm not gonna go to this game. But I hope Ja doesn't do anything too crazy." (laughs) Right. And they're like, "Oh, I gave my ticket away, you know." So it's like he's must see TV to these people. We haven't had that in Memphis. Must see TV. You know, the grit and grind era was special from a productivity perspective, but for kids like myself, it was boring. You know, it was, it was defense. I mean, you know, defense grinded out basketball isn't the most entertaining uh, for everyone, let alone kids who, you know, want to see flashy things. Kids wanted to, they want to see three pointers, transition dunks, and jaw brings all of that. And plus you get that grittiness too with this team. So that just, I mean, that's, and Ja, he, he kind of embodies the culture too of Memphis, you know, um, Memphis loves grills. For example, Memphis has been one of the grills capitals. Ja has a 30 K, you know, uh honeycomb <laughs> diamond grill, you know, that's, that's Memphis, you know, yeah. he wears, he wears, when he's not playing in the game, he wears, you know, all the chains around his necks, uh, the shiny ice and all that Memphis loves that stuff. You know, that's, that's the stuff that really, uh, you know, you're at home at Memphis when you do those type of things. And then, you know, he, 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 he just really embodies, you know, even the way he dressed, he he wears Nike Tex a lot of time. You know, we have a, a Nike factory in Memphis. People love right. Nike here. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think I think the Nike Techs also had its time in New York, but it's a Memphis yep. thing as well. It's a Memphis exactly. thing as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he embodies <laughs> the culture, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so do you feel that Memphis influenced Ja as well? I think so. Yeah.
1: I think so, but I, I mean just listening to him. You know, he he kind of has the same mindset that he's had always growing up, you know, very right, level-headed, right. humble. But um, I've, I've heard stories, you know, I wasn't here then because I've only been here about five months now. I heard stories around, you know, when he was getting drafted, you know, the Knicks were right behind him at number three. And, you know, I've heard that people were saying that, you know, Josh's family wasn't in favor of him going to, you know, the city of New York. at exactly. because, you know, it's the big, the big lights. They, they rather him go somewhere where, you know, would, wouldn't be too many distractions and you know how that goes. Like some players want that, but I guess they wanted him to, you know, be able to, to focus a little bit more just on nothing but basketball. And, yeah. and Memphis, you know, gives you more of that opportunity. So it's, I mean, I've actually, you know, heard, you know, his dad has told me like, it's like a perfect fit, you know, like the culture, uh, just the city, and overall, and I mean, they love Memphis. So I think Memphis has had, you know, definitely an impact on him because he, he he walks around all the time. He throws up the M, you know, with his fingers and and says things like big Memphis and, and you know, all that. Uh, right. Like, he, you know, he really loves Memphis. So I think, you know, he definitely uh, has some of that. You mentioned his dad. What is he chirping
0: about on the sidelines, man? What is man, he talking he, about?
1: <laughs> he, he, he's great, man. It's funny. He's kind of took – he's taken off lately, but that's been him all season. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, the playoffs and all the national TV attention has kind of brought more, but, but I mean, earlier this season, he, you know, Katie and Kyrie came, he was talking to them, chirping with them a little bit. And, and, you know, there were players, I think LeBron made a shot once he looked over there at him and, you know, like that's happened throughout the season, but um, I love it personally. Um, I don't think it's, it's anything, you know, extra by any means. First of all, you know, John Morant loves it, you know, his dad, He wants his dad there, and, and it's great to see, at the end of the day, having a father who's that supportive at every game. I mean, yeah. he's traveling on the road to a lot of these games, too. Uh, we, you know, historically speaking, especially with, like, black fathers, it's a major thing to see, you know, him on the sidelines supporting um, there. And, and he's been there all the way through. There are videos of him and John training at nighttime in South Carolina, dim lights. You can almost hear the crickets in the background. And, yeah. you know, Josh got no shirt yeah. off sweating and they're going and they're working and they're working. He's pushing them. And it's like this is special for him, too. You know, he played basketball. He was a he was a good basketball player as well. He played with Ray Allen in high school, yeah. had a really good team out there in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, in a way, it's like it's a father seeing, wow, my son is doing what kind of, you know, I wanted to do at the highest level. But it's, it's, I feel like it's even more special to him seeing his son accomplish
0: it. Yeah, I've seen videos of him, you know, in the backyard, as you said, outside. Yeah. And he got the whole community out there. Like, you could see Jaw's leadership in those videos. So I wanted to transition to this because the Warriors and the Grizzlies are obviously in a series right now. But I do see something that I find in common with them. They have both done a great job of being in win-now mode, but also developing the youth. I thought it was great that Zaire Williams got playing time this year. I yeah. think that type of experience is invaluable. What have you seen from his development?
1: Man, it's it's night and day from 2021 to 2022. First half of the season during the headlights, I know people were wondering, man, like did the Grizzlies make the right pick? You know, like this guy's, he's not no productivity whatsoever. He wasn't making shots. Uh, not doing much defensively, Uh, you know, out of the rotation at this point. Second half of the season comes – well, not quite second half, but January. January hits. A lot of guys are in and out of protocols at this point. So he has to play. Like, it's it's him or, you know, some G League guy you're going to have to bring up or something. So he has to play at this point. And, man, he starts producing. And I'm talking about not just producing. He's guarding Luka Doncic when they Mm -hmm. play the Mavs. He's mm-hmm. guarding Steph Curry when they mm-hmm. played the Warriors in that game, and he scored 17 points as well. Um, another big mental moment, and you 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 can attest to this, you know, being a hooper. They went to Philly at the end of January. thought this was a huge moment. They went to Philly at the end of January, uh, John Morant having an incredible game, finishing around the rim with ease. He's driving to the basket at the end of the game for, I think it was the game-winning oh. basket. Three Sixers just collapse on fast. So you know he's he doesn't have anywhere to finish. He can't go around and be because two guys are you know. So he kicks it out in the corner. Final seconds, wide open. Zaire Williams shoots the ball, misses the shot. They lose in overtime. Zaire's beating himself up over the shot, hitting the wall. Um, you know. He's a rookie. He's tough on himself. He wanted that moment to prove to his teammates he can be, you know, clutch in those moments. A lot of the fans were wondering, why was Zaire Williams in the game in that moment? Yada, yada, yada. After the game, I asked Zaire, I asked Ja, why did he pass the ball to him? Ja basically says, if same situation, I'll pass it to him again. Uh, Taylor Jenkins was like, it was the right play. Everyone came to bat for him. Next game against the New York Knicks, scores a career high, makes like three or four three pointers uh, had a huge game against the Knicks. So Zaire Williams, if you look at his stats from February and on, he's been incredible. I think he's definitely, uh, depending on how they shape the future. You know, they could go out there and try to make some star, you know, star hunting and things like that. But if it's just building this core, he's a, he's a crucial part of it. He's that three that they've been looking for. You know, he has the long arms, he has the height, six eight. Yeah. You can tell he, he, he still has that teenager frame. You know, he's going to yeah. grow into that. Once he gets 22, 23, he's going to fill out. And you see glimpses of the shot creation that he has as well. You know, he does a lot of spot-up things. And he's a, he's a monster in transition. You know, I think already he's one of the better wings in the NBA when it comes just running the break, like – He catches Mm -hmm. so many lobs in transition because he's like a, like a Giselle just like running the break out there. So he's big time. I think, you know, his, his future is bright.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was a polarizing prospect coming into the NBA because he had all that potential you're talking about, but he had somewhat of a disappointing college season, but COVID was with COVID. It was crazy. It was all over the place. And it was kind of like a hard year to evaluate some of these prospects, but I did want to shift. To Brooks because I wanted to know from you what does his intensity and confidence mean for the rest of that team
1: man he's the players will say it too but he's the heart and soul wow the okay. heart and soul of this team um Dylan Brooks is, is is that edge you know uh you you know how it is when when you have a uh, two guys dive on the floor and you know they're 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 pulling for the basketball. You don't want to lose that battle. Dylan Brooks is that guy that'll come in there, you know, for the Grizzlies just to get, you know, he likes to get his hands dirty a little bit and and he's diving all over the floor for the loose balls and, and you know, he, he wants the guard, the hot hand scoring. He prides himself, skill set aside, he prides himself on energy, physicality. No matter if he shoots two for 20 or he shoots 12 for 14, the energy and physicality never changed for him. Uh, watching a lot of guys, like I said, I'm sitting right in front of him, courtside, at all these uh, Grizzlies games, the home games at least, and watching the guys he defend, if it's not each game, it's every other game. They're looking at the referee after about three or four plays with Dylan Brooks, and they're saying, look, he's hooking me right here, or he's doing this, or or right. he, he's put his shoulder, he's doing this with his shoulder. It, right, it right. never fails, and he right. loves that, you know. Uh, sometimes you see a a defender would think, no, ref, no, I'm not doing any of that. Dylan Brooks in his mind, because he he has a real different mind. He's like, (laughs) he's like, like, yeah, I got him right where I want him. You know, I feel like that's his mindset, but, but yeah, he, he is, he's the heart and soul, man. These, these dudes really feed off of that energy he brings.
0: So I think there's been a few players that we just kind of have to forget about what we thought was the ceiling for them. I mean, Jalen Brunson comes to mind. Yeah. Obviously uh Jordan Poole comes to mind. Yeah. And everybody talks about Desmond Bain's floor and how solid of a player he is, but what do you feel his ceiling is?
1: Man, As it's it's tough because because right now you're seeing glimpses of, of what can be an all-star player. Mm. Like um let's let's take the shooting, for example, because you, you talk about the floor. I think people always say, oh, the floor is he's always going to be a really good spot-up shooter. Right. This year, he is doing – his footwork at the two-guard position, I, t- I tweeted this out the other day, it's it's top-tier. Um, you, you're mm-hmm. seeing it now. You know, his mm-hmm. step-backs, his slide steps, um, he has a, a just array of moves where he can get open in the blink of an eye. You, if you watch game one, you saw him go behind the back against Steph Curry and create, like, three feet of space. And that wasn't just a Steph Curry thing. He's done that all, I mean, these last three months, I've really noticed him increase it. So from his footwork, he's creating space there. And then there's the pull-up three. He's top 10 in the NBA in percentage on three-point uh, pull-ups. Uh, these are all things he weren't doing last season. Last year, it was catch and shoot most of the time. Catch and shoot, catch and shoot. Now he's doing pull-up through transition three-pointers where he's one of the best at. I just mentioned how the footwork is allowing him to create more and then the Grizzlies are putting him in pick and roll more. I think when John Morant was out, a lot of people were wondering how are the Grizzlies so good without John Morant. A big part of that, along with Tyus Jones, you know, being a really good backup point guard, was mm-hmm. Desmond Bain assumed backup point guard duties. And I talked to a lot of people from his high school and college and things like that. He played point guard at both of those levels, so the playmaking comes kind of natural for him. And we saw more of that. So I think over the course of his career, when you talk about his ceiling. There's a there's more playmaking ability there. Um, we, we haven't seen it yet, but there could be potential five assist seasons, you know, playing alongside John Morant. And, you know, the shot creation, we've seen it at the three point and the mid range. He's going to probably get better and better, you know, at just create more ways to score there as well. I think, you know, all star, all star cowboy player averaging 23 points a game, you know, alongside John Morant. Is, is definitely a, a, a good ceiling for him he, he he has a he has a big bag man and, and he's showing a lot of it this year
0: I mean you talk about the separation the footwork and to your point what I like about all of that with him is he gets it off quick he's not dancing yeah. too much so it doesn't hurt the rhythm or flow of the basketball team yeah yeah
1: exactly and 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 that's that's why he's like the perfect fit beside John Morant because yes. he doesn't he doesn't need the ball that much. I mean, yes. if he gets the ball, he knows what to do with it. But Desmond Bain can pop you 22, 23 points, and you just run him off a couple screens, and, and John Morant gets downhill and kicks it out to him. And next thing you know, man, he's made four three-pointers. He can finish, you know, well in transition as well. So, and he's one of those guys. You know, when they grab a board, they're not just looking for John Morant. If John Morant's covered up, oh, here you go, Des. And he's going to push the pace in transition just like Ja would. So you get a lot of that with him, too.
0: Yeah. So uh, last thing before we get out of here, DeMichael, um, game one, I just want to hear your thoughts on what adjustments need to be made, because a lot of the Grizzlies player play well and yeah. Dre got ejected and it was still yeah. unfortunately a loss. So what are some of the keys that you feel Memphis has to make to win game two?
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it was kind of, I mean, the Grizzlies made 16 three-pointers, right? They don't they do not do that a lot, 16 or 40. The Grizzlies don't shoot that well from three-point range a lot. Jaron Jackson, third quarter, like, he was hot. He's not mm-hmm. going to have too many quarters like that. So you you factor in all those things, it's like, man, they played some of the best basketball. Draymond Green went out. Yeah. It's like, how can, you know, they win? But there are some things that they can correct, uh, starting with, you know, the starting lineup. So Stephen Adams is out right now, health and safety protocols. If and when he gets back, for one, we'll start there. If and when he gets back, that's a huge difference because right now the Warriors are starting that small lineup with Draymond Green at the five. And it's productive, but if you put Stephen Adams at center, he was the number one offensive rebound in the NBA, set the Grizzlies single season offensive rebounds record this year. They would be playing volleyball around the rim so even when they're missing shots, they're probably gonna get putbacks, kick out three-pointers, and all of that. That bodes really well for the Grizzlies for one. Xavier Tillman was the starting center in One. The reason he was the starting center is because he provided a spark against Carl Anthony Towns in the last center, in the last series. Uh Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, kind of wanted to keep that rotation, you know, going. And it didn't work out. Xavier Tillman at the end of the regular season, he was, he was out of the rotation. So his production in in, in the first round came out of nowhere. But Taylor Jenkins stuck with him in game one. He was negative 10 in 13 minutes. And there were a couple other guys who, did, who just weren't productive. I think now Brandon Clark, who we've seen be the most productive big man for the Grizzlies so far in this postseason, he's a potential starter. Kyle Anderson, you know, he's made his name in the league yeah. uh, now at this point as a guy, very versatile, a uh, great defender with long arms, good anticipation skills. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are two guys you can replace Xavier Tillman in the starting lineup get better production and I think that move alone because again Xavier Tillman was negative 10 in 13 minutes. The Grizzlies lost by one point you make you just make that subtle move and there's a big difference. I think lineup rotation will get a little bit tighter Taylor Jenkins always says you know game one he doesn't want to play his guys 40 minutes because he, he's thinking as a, it's a long series. You know, you don't want to 40 minutes every single game and wear guys down by game six, game seven. He's game one, played a longer rotation. I expect the rotation to get shorter, and that will give Memphis a better chance.
0: The Michael, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else?
1: Oh, man, appreciate you. Uh, yeah, social media, you find me at C on Twitter. That's D-A-M-I-C-H-A-E-L and the letter C. On Twitter, that's where I post all of my Grizzlies content, my Grizzlies coverage. And also that coverage is me, you know, being a beat writer at the Commercial Appeal. So you can read all my content at, at commercialappeal.com, commercialappeal.com. Uh, Every game, we have Grizzlies stories, Grizzlies recaps. Uh, we dive into to, um, the analysis side of things, who's playing well, who's not playing well, what's trending good for the Grizzlies, what's trending wrong. And we also do some opponent things too we're doing things on you know uh how to guard steph curry how to guard draymond green um all those type things so yeah that's that's where you can find all our coverage commercial appeal.com
0: from the big apple to big memphis we yeah. appreciate you here you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon no problem take care man thank you for having me yes sir anytime I hope you enjoyed that grizzly centric episode of Combo's Court. Big thanks to DeMichael Cole for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode three, six, four. Combo out.